Thank you, Keith. And uh, yeah, I was singing some about, uh, he said, lively group. I agree with that. And was thinking some about, you know, Scott mentioned last night what can happen when we're, you know, glued to the television, captivated by, you know, the screens and uh, just silent and, and mindless. But uh, even to what he said just a minute ago, there is a sort of silence and a stillness that is the exact opposite, you know, where we're really focusing and we're thinking and we're digging in with our brains. And uh, that's what I was thinking during the previous lesson. I was just noticing the attentiveness of this, of this audience uh, and the investment of your, your brains uh, to what Scott was saying and to what the Word of God ultimately has to say. And uh, that's exciting. There's, there is an, a liveliness even in the silence and the stillness of, of thinking and listening and meditating on God's Word. And so thank you for your good attention to, uh, to our words, but again, more importantly, to God's words this weekend. Let's talk about social media in this lesson. And I want to start with something that Mark Zuckerberg said. This was a few years ago, and he's probably made several comments like this through the years. But speaking about Facebook and why he ultimately or originally started Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg said this, We're a company that focuses on connecting people. Again, Zuckerberg runs Facebook and Instagram. We're a company that focuses on connecting people. One of the reasons I started Facebook, he said, was at the time you could use the internet to find almost anything except the thing that matters most of all, people. But then contrast that with uh, what the person... uh, Kamath Palihapitiya, that's how you say his name, Scott mentioned him earlier, former executive at Facebook and Instagram, in that same interview that Scott mentioned, he had this to say about social media, in particular Facebook and Instagram. He said, it's literally at a point now where we have created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. It is eroding the core foundation of how people behave by and between each other. And by the way, he goes on to say, I don't have a good solution. My solution is just that I don't use these tools anymore. And he said he doesn't allow his kids to use them either. So what's going on here with Facebook, with social media in general? Is it bringing people together as Zuckerberg originally intended for it to do? Or is it tearing people apart? the way that polyhapatia claims that it is. What's going on with social media? That's what we want to talk about a little bit for the next few minutes. And we're going to pick up the idea that Scott mentioned and talked about from 1 Corinthians in his lessons. Actually, two times in that letter, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul uses this same formula where he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. By the way, Paul, of course, is not actually saying that anything a Christian wants to do is lawful. He's not saying that, but he's more so granting the argument to the Corinthians to say, even if something is permissible, even if something is lawful, there's more questions to ask. For instance, is it beneficial? Is it profitable? So two times in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Not all things are beneficial. Chapter 6, as Scott mentioned, he said, all things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. But in chapter 10, Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, 
but not all things edify. Not all things build up. This is in the context of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul says, even if it's okay, and there's maybe a longer discussion to have about that, even if it's permissible, does it build up? Does it edify? Does it bring people together, particularly in the church? Does it grow the church closer to each other? And so for us as Christians and as churches, this is the question we want to ask. Is my use of social media building other people up? Am I growing closer to other people in a way that builds me up? And is the church growing together as a result of social media and digital communication? And I do want to talk about both of those things in this lesson. We are primarily talking about things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, Reddit, Parler, LinkedIn, whatever social media platform was just created 15 minutes ago. Anywhere like this where we get on and we engage in these virtual communities. They're like virtual worlds that we enter into and we inhabit and we act uh, with and through each other. But because we're talking about virtual communities, I think there's also going to be important lessons just for any kind of digital communication. Even texting and email and things that have become more popular in the last couple of years like Zoom and FaceTime and so on. I think there's lessons to be learned in those uh, avenues as well. But let's talk about social media and digital communication. And this is our plan for reflecting on these questions together. First, we'll talk again briefly about whether social media is in fact accomplishing its intended purpose. And then we'll talk about some of the inherent dangers or problems with social media. And then we'll end by talking about a solution for us as sons and daughters of the Father. So let's talk about whether social media is working. There's an irony, of course, with social media, because as Zuckerberg said, the social network was created for connectedness. And I want to say very clearly and say emphatically that I think all of us, many of us who have used social media have seen this benefit and have seen the value of these platforms in terms of bringing people together and providing connection. You know, something like Facebook provides people with communities that are very helpful, that are very supportive. I think about that in a number of different ways. Sometimes there are groups on Facebook. For instance, my wife has benefited from a group on Facebook that's made up of adoptive parents, adoptive moms in particular, or just moms in general. And she has found helpful resources and helpful information and people that have similar stories that she can connect with and be encouraged by and learn from. Those are virtual support groups or communities that weren't possible before Facebook existed. Or even within a, a, a local church setting, I am confident, I haven't heard this uh, you know, for sure, but I'm confident that this church here uses Facebook as a means of communicating with each other on a regular basis. We have that where I am in Houston. And especially when something happened like COVID, where we weren't able to be together as much, or for us in particular several years ago with Hurricane Harvey, when people were flooding in their homes and there was a crisis going on, Facebook was one of the main ways that people connected with each other to see who was in need and how we can support one another. And this kind of thing is obviously beneficial. People have told me that there are, are people on Facebook or on Instagram that they follow and they see their encouraging posts, people that they would never have met otherwise, and yet they can be encouraged by them by seeing their social media activity. 
when my mom passed away uh, nine years ago now, the people that were able to get on Facebook and post tributes about her life and talk about her, stuff I would never have seen, had not been for something like Facebook where people could publicly praise her in a very public forum. We do the same thing with prayer requests. We, we, we announce on Facebook, and we're able to request prayers for people who are in urgent needs. And then, of course, you can add on top of all of this the benefits of digital communication, seeing your grandkids, right, on face, FaceTime, or using Zoom to, to talk with people across the country, uh, email, texting, cell phone use, all of that stuff allows us to be connected in a way that simply wasn't possible years ago. And again, I want to say clearly and emphatically, I want you to hear that I'm saying this. Thank God for all of these blessings. And I think it's fair to say that social media is one of the ways that we fulfill passages like Ephesians 4, 16. Where Paul says that the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working, up, working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It does that for us, and we should be thankful for it. But, maybe you knew that was coming. But it's also the case that since the universal adoption of social media, like Facebook, there has become uh, more and more evidence that social media is, again, having an opposite effect. I could give you several different examples of this. I'll focus on one in particular. There's a book that was written in 2017 by Jean Twangy. She's one of these kind of generation experts. And so she wrote a book called iGen, that stands for iGeneration. It describes Generation Z, I believe, uh, which are years, birth years, 1995 to 2012, the iGeneration. The book is called iGen, why today's super-connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood and what that means for the rest of us. And in that book, she marshals a lot of data to show that this particular generation are spending more time online and less time with their peers in person. And the result of that is that this same generation has seen an alarming rise in anxiety, depression, loneliness, and even attempted suicide. And she shows that social media is a real factor in that. And she impressively, in my mind, is able to demonstrate, if you're familiar with statistics, right, correlation does not always mean causation. She's able to, I think, demonstrate that there is a causal effect between social media and the unhappiness, not simply a correlation. But I want to be clear in saying that this is not just a problem for young people. And I think any of us that have used social media like Facebook, for an extended period of time, likely have noticed on some level this same effect. This is my basic story with social media. I was lonely at a certain point in my life. Facebook was making me more lonely, so I got off. And maybe you've noticed a similar effect in your life as well. For all of its benefits, I think we have to be honest and acknowledge that social media has its harmful effects as well. So, what are those problems? Why is all this connection leading to so much unhappiness, depression, isolation, and so on? Four things I'll offer you in terms of inherent problems with social media. One is that social media tends toward self-promotion. Social media is essentially this. You have your account, you have your page, and you are free. You are encouraged to post 
anything on that page. Thoughts, pictures, videos, links. And so naturally, social media has become a forum for self-expression. This is basically what it is. I don't see much way around this. This is what social media is. Here's who I am. Here's my life. Here's what I think. Here's what I'm doing today. Follow me. Like me. Be my friend. But I think we would all readily admit that this is not the most conducive approach for building relationship. In fact, it's contrary to the basic principles of social interaction. We know that good conversation, good relationship building, involves so much more than proclaiming our opinions and sharing about ourselves. Proverbs 18, verse 2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. I think Facebook or Twitter should make that their tagline. But this is essentially what social media is. It makes it far too easy for us to express ourselves, but it's not the best forum for building relationship or even discussing and learning about each other in a productive way. And because it's all about self-expression, it's natural for any of us. We do this in real life as well as on social media, but especially on social media, it's natural for us to want to make ourselves look as good as possible. We want to shape an image of ourselves, shape an image of how people perceive us. And so we put something out there that makes us look attractive in whatever way that means. There's a word, uh, the word avatar, not necessarily the movie, uh, it's related. But you know what an avatar is? If you're in a virtual reality or in a video game, right, you create an image of who, you, this, is, this is my character, right? This represents me out there. So you can give yourself, you know, a blue head or, you know, uh, horns or whatever else. You create an avatar. This represents me out in the virtual world. That's essentially what social media has become. We've created avatars of ourselves, versions of ourselves that we are portraying to the world. And in fact, it's easier, is it not, to be who you want to be on social media, smart, opinionated, beautiful, witty. It's easier to be those things online than it is to be in real life. But the problem is, it's not really us, oftentimes. And the reality is that when we create a persona online that isn't us, we are being deceptive, of course, and we're contributing to our own insecurity because we know that that's not really us. So there's a real problem here just with the inherent nature of what social media is. It tends towards self-promotion, self-marketing. And I think because of that, then, social media fuels unhealthy comparisons. Magnifying the problem, newsflash, you're not the only one out there crafting an image of yourself. Everybody else is on social media doing the same thing. And so we see other people whose lives look wonderful, whose food looks really tasty. Everybody's lives who are happy and perfect. We see that on Instagram. We know, well, my life's not happy and perfect. And so we get depressed. And oftentimes in our depression, we respond by further isolating ourselves, further faking our persona, going to a worse place. 
According to Twangy, the author of that book I mentioned, iGen, she says uh, or you know, demonstrates that social media negatively affects the mental health of young ladies more. I think this is largely the reason why. Girls who are conscious of their appearance see everyone online who is prettier than they are. Young women who are conscious of their weight see people that are more fit than them. Young women who are lonely see all the happy couples, so on and so forth. It's very destructive. And again, I don't think it's just true of young women. My wife says that this seems to be a problem for women more so than men. Women of all ages are susceptible to this kind of comparison, this kind of insecurity by seeing others online. But this is the point we want to make. What we are seeing is, much of what we are seeing at least, is at best selective and likely even edited, polished, or made up in order to paint a particular image of that person. But it still fuels that natural tendency to compare ourselves. Ecclesiastes 4.4 says, I saw that all the toil and all the skill and work came from man's envy of his neighbor. This is vanity and striving after wind. And then I saw that every Instagram post comes from a woman's envy of her neighbor, and this also is vanity and striving after wind. And again, the anxiety and the depression that is created from this sort of unhealthy comparison often drives us back into what is easiest and what feels good to us in the moment, which, as Scott said, is often more time on social media. But I also say, on top of all of this, that social media simply exhausts us. The overconnection at a certain point is unhealthy for us. When we spend time regularly on social media, we are bombarded with the latest news and images from the lives of literally hundreds of people. Because on social media, you're not just seeing what's going on in the lives of the people you are connected with, but they are sharing about the lives of the people that they are connected with. We are bombarded with all of this news and all of this information about what's going on. It's a problem of inundation. We see all the problems and celebrations of everybody's lives. These things are huge and they are heavy. And in just five minutes of scrolling through your Facebook feed, you can see a cancer diagnosis, a new baby, a lament on infertility, a humanitarian crisis, the death of a child, one after the other. And I want to humbly submit to you this morning that we were not created to handle all of this. It's too much. We were not made to bear all of these burdens. We are not God. We cannot be in all of these places at once. We cannot bear up under so much pain, so much heartache. And really, we can't do anything about all the brokenness that is constantly flooding our vision on social media and in the news. But you might ask, well, what about praying for these particular situations and these particular problems that people are going through? I want to say a few things about that. First, I don't mean to discourage anyone from requesting prayers from the largest platform available to them. Again, that's a tool that we have at our disposal, and I want to encourage all of us to use that if it's available to us. Ask for prayers, request people to pray for you. It's an amazing thing that God's family all over the world can pray for someone who is in need. And second, I want to say that we should be praying 
It's commendable to pray for things, even if you've heard about it on social media and don't even know the person. But third, I want to say that even still, we have limits. I cannot pray about every tragedy. And to use Paul's language from Romans 12, I cannot rejoice with every friend on Facebook who's rejoicing, and I cannot weep with every friend on Facebook who is weeping. I simply can't do it. I'm human, and I have limitations. And I will say this as well, that without social media, we already have so many people to worry about and pray about and do things for. I mean, if you're a member of this congregation here at Trader's Point, let's just start with the people that you're physically related to, the people that are close to you in your life. Already, that's a lot of people that are going through difficult things oftentimes, that are sick, that are going through some sort of crisis, and you're worried about them, and you're praying for them, and you want to be there to help them. And then add on top of that, you have a local church family here, 409. That's the number I'm seeing on the back. That's a lot of people with a lot of problems, with a lot of needs. And they're the people right here. We already, and so we haven't even got to Facebook yet. And there's already more people in our lives than we really have the ability to pray for and to be with and to sit with and to weep with and to hold their hand. But I think what happens is that the constant exposure on social media to so many problems all the time can just make us numb to it all. And it can dull our senses and leave us exhausted and unfortunately unequipped to help the people that are actually right in front of us and right there in our lives. Social media leaves us exhausted with all of the overconnection. And then finally, and going along with that, I would say that social media distracts us from flesh and blood because even at its best, even with all the wonderful benefits that I've enumerated, social media is still a virtual community. And it's still made up of written text and photos and videos that are taken in through a screen. It's not real life. I love this comment at the end of 2 John, right? If you've ever read the little letter of 2 John, at the end, the apostle says, I have many things to write to you. I don't want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be full, he says. And if that was true 2,000 years ago when John was talking about ink and parchment, it's still true today. When we spend more and more of our time in a world of virtual relationship, virtual communication, we're actually separating ourselves from real life and from the power of living as flesh and blood humans that God created us to be. And we're not just missing out on a better life, but we're diminishing and putting at risk sometimes the life and the connections that we have. Uh, we've kind of alluded to this book or have drawn things from it already. I'll just come out and recommend it. This is the one book for us, and I think we're going to have a resource list to share by the end of the weekend. Uh, but I'll just say it now. The one book that Scott and I would recommend if you want to think more about this stuff is a book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You by Tony Ranke. 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. In that book, the author highlights the epidemic of texting while driving. That's a real problem, right? Governments are trying to figure out how to regulate this because it's a serious danger, it's a serious risk. 
But if you think about that problem, that demonstrates this very principle to an extreme, that we are so lost in our devices that we are literally, I am literally, when I do this, literally putting the lives of other flesh and blood humans at risk to catch a few more glimpses of that faint blue glow. And social media does this very thing, even in seemingly innocuous situations. When we're on our phones in a virtual community, that keeps us from enjoying the community that's right in front of us. You're on your phone at a gathering, you're missing out on what's going on. And studies have shown that even having a phone in your pocket or especially having a phone out on the table, even if you're not looking at it, diminishes the quality of conversation that you're having with the people that are right there, flesh and blood in your presence. So we're missing out on that fullness of experience and replacing it with communication that is, at best, again, shallow and limited. And so, again, social media, digital communication are blessings, but they can't accomplish what genuine in-person communication can. And when we try to substitute the counterfeit for the real, we'll be the ones missing out on living a more full life. So social media has its problems, its inherent dangers. And one way that we've already phrased it in this lesson, you may have heard this before, you know, to say that you know, Twitter's not real life. I love hearing people say that, you know. In that context, it's like the opinions that are being shared on Twitter, that's, you know, one little segment of the population that's loudly voicing their opinion. That's not real life. You say, Instagram's not real life. You know, these things, the, the, the images that you see, the people that you see, it's fake, it's polished, whatever. Yeah, social media is not real life. And that may be a helpful way of reminding ourselves that social media is a flattened, distorted form of reality. But I think the more full truth is that social media is real life because you and I are still real people interacting with other real people even if we're interacting with them through a digital medium. And so unfortunately, we too often use our thumbs and our fingers to insult, shame, ridicule, Real flesh and blood humans made in the image of God, even worse than that, we insult and shame and ostracize and isolate our own brothers and sisters in Christ online. Oftentimes because we're emboldened through that digital medium to say things that we would never say in person. And again, it is real life. Because the damage done through our social media comments or our online words or the words in a text or email, the damage done is as real as if we said those words to their face. And, to take it one step further, we will be held accountable for the words that we type in a comment section as much as we will be held accountable by God for the words that come out of our mouths. Every idle word, Jesus said, will be brought into judgment. And I believe he means however those words are communicated by us to other people. So it is real life. And we are accountable for what we do. 
And there are very, very high stakes when it comes to interacting with other people online and through digital communication. So, what do we do about it? What should be our guiding principles as we think about how to use these tools as Christians? Well, talking about this, I want to focus on this passage. And you'll recognize this passage because this passage is central to the gospel message. In many ways, is if you had to pick a passage that describes the message of the gospel, this would be it here in Philippians chapter 2. You'll recognize the words of Paul here, but let's read them together. Philippians 2 and verse 3, Do nothing, Paul says, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held onto, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." And Paul goes on to say that for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A few things we want to say about this passage here. The first is that the story of the Bible is a story about restoring connection. This goes back to what we said last night as we introduced the story of the Bible. God made humans, God made man and woman to dwell with them in the world that he created, to have this relationship, to have this connection with humans. But man's rebellion broke those lines of connection between God and man. And So what Paul is describing here is God's plan that he enacted to reconnect, to bring connection back between himself and mankind. And how did God go about restoring connection with mankind? Well, I'll tell you this, he didn't do it by sending a PDF attachment in an email. He didn't do it by sending a Marco Polo video to us. He didn't even do it by sending a hologram of himself for us to view. God restored connection by coming in person, by taking on flesh and blood himself in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Let's not miss the power of that. God took on flesh and blood to be with us, to sit with us, to hurt with us, to save us. And of course, that was much harder, (laughs) much harder to live in the mess of human experience, much harder to deal with people and to face pain, to face suffering, to face the death on the cross that uh, Paul talks about here. But it was the only way that God could achieve that reconciliation. And so what that shows us is that there is tremendous power in flesh and blood presence We cannot allow ourselves in this digital age to simply become avatars 
fooled into thinking that digital connection and digital relationship and digital communication is a suitable replacement for living in the real world. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, God made flesh, then we need to take advantage of the power that exists in flesh and blood presence and use the power of flesh and blood presence to love others and to bless others, modeling after Jesus, our Savior, who did that very thing for us by coming in flesh and blood. So that's one thing I think that comes out of this passage. But again, we're talking about how to use social media and what our guiding principles should be in using digital communication. I think there are lessons in this passage for that as well. Let me ask you this. As I'm using Facebook, as I'm using Instagram, as I'm using social media, what would it look like if I followed the guidelines that Paul gives here in modeling my life after the life of the master, being a disciple of Jesus? What would it look like to post nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit? What would that look like? Maybe it's kind of hard. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Post nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. What would it look like to not share online merely for my own personal interests? What would that look like? To try to take the self out of social media and take that idea of self-promotion and take that idea of what I want, what I'm looking for, what I'm interested in, taking that out of how I use these tools, what would it look like? And then more than that, what would my social media activity look like if I always counted other people more important than myself? And what would my online activity look like if I always was looking out for the interests of others? I think these things are very challenging, but I think they're possible. I think they're possible. That in the same way, you might come to a gathering like this or come on a Sunday to the, the assembly of the church and afterward you might look around and you might say, who's here that I can encourage? Who's here that I know might be going through something hard that I can go talk to, I can be their friend and I can build them up? I think that attitude can be translated online. When we get on social media to see what's going on in the lives of others, we can have that sort of others-focused mentality. Who can I build up? Who could I encourage? Again, instead of simply getting on to fulfill my own desires or to express myself or to let other people know about me. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Instead, count other people more important than yourself and look out for their interests. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2 about the one that imitates the master, Jesus Christ, those should be our guiding principles for the use of social media. So a few recommendations I would give as a result of all of this that we have said this morning. And the first, and I won't belabor the point, I'm not here to get you off all of your accounts. But I think we do need to say that if you look at yourself honestly, you look at your life honestly, and there are things that you need to unplug, get off of, if you need to get off, then get off. As a result of this weekend, no sacrifice no sacrifice is too big if it results 
in you growing spiritually or doing what Jesus talks about and cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye in order to save yourself from spiritual destruction. And so everything needs to be on the table in that sense. Nothing's off limits. So if you need to get off, get off. Maybe that's just one account. Maybe that's all of the accounts. But be honest about that. Again, be self-critical and be courageous enough to make the decision that you need to make if that's the conclusion that you come to. But I would also say this about our digital age. Prioritize the people that are near you. Prioritize the people that are near you. Again, we become so connected with all of our virtual connections through something like Facebook and Instagram. We're so spread out. I think we could benefit by uh, limiting our circle to some degree and prioritizing and focusing on the people that are near us. And that may be our immediate family. And if you're like me, all my immediate family lives in other places. And so I rely on digital communication and FaceTime and other things to stay connected with my brothers and with my dad and to get to know my nieces and nephews as they're growing up. And I think that's a good thing. And that's my family, and I should take advantage of the tools that God has given me to stay connected to my brothers and to my parents. But I think also we should prioritize the people that are geographically located near us. The people that are in our local church. Maybe even our neighbors. The people that we literally share space with on our street. How many of those people do we know by name? How many of those people are we connected to in our lives? Can we serve them? Can we be a blessing to them? As well as, as I've said, the people that we worship with. And to that point, I would say this about social media. Use the benefits of social media and digital communication to encourage in-person and face-to-face connection. So use Facebook to promote things that are going on so that people can actually show up in the same place and do stuff together. The people that you text with, that you email with, use that communication to organize a way to, to see them, to get coffee with them, to get lunch, to meet up. Maybe even take a trip to go spend time with them in person. Because again, the social media and the digital communication is a blessing for us to stay in touch, but it's limited, it's shallow, it only accomplishes so much. So let's use it to move towards what is more powerful and what is more meaningful, which is being together and seeing each other face to face and being flesh and blood in presence. So use social media as a tool to encourage physical connection. And then finally, I would say, whatever we do on social media, when we're about to make that comment on somebody's post, when we're about to post ourselves, when we're about to share something, when we're about to just pass along a link because we read the first line of an article, we want to share it to all the world, stop. Even that right there is probably sufficient, right? Stop. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Stop and wait. Give it time. Give it a minute. Give it 60 minutes. Give it a day. Ask some important questions. Why am I posting this? Do I really know what I'm posting? Do I really know what I'm talking about? Do I really know what the article that I'm sharing says and the implications of that? Why am I doing this? Am I just trying to get a rise out of people? Am I trying to promote myself? Am I being deceptive about the way that I'm framing what's going on here or framing what's going on in my life? Ask these important questions. The questions that our, our mom always told us to ask about the things that we say. Is it true? Is it helpful? 
Is it necessary to say? Ask all of those important questions. Stop, wait, give it time, breathe, sleep on it. Ask the important questions and then post to ensure that what you're putting out there is, in fact, edifying and building up to other people. I want to return to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where we started. He said in the context of eating meat sacrificed to idols, not all things are profitable. Even if it's okay and not a sin, not all things edify. Not all things build up. And that's the question that we've been reflecting on this morning. And at the end of that conversation, Paul says this. Again, for his context, and I think it applies to us as well. Whatever you decide to do with social media, The decision is yours after all. Whatever you decide to do, whether you eat or drink or post or share or tweet or snap, do all to the glory of God. He says, give no offense. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Paul says, just as I also please all men in everything, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. That's our attitude. Do all to the glory of God, not seeking our own profit, but seeking the profit of other people to lead other people closer to Christ. Because I, as Paul says, he says, I'm an imitator of Christ. That's my job as a disciple, to imitate Christ in person and online so that other people can be built up and so that God can receive the glory from everything that I do. Thank you again for your kind attention uh, this morning.